would always take time at the beginning of the year to talk to us about good hygiene, about the importance of, of bathing and, and wearing deodorant and washing our hands after bathroom breaks and, and, and after playing on the, on the playground and before eating lunch. And uh, during cold and, and flu season, they would educate us on how germs spread and on the importance of, of staying home if you're sick. And again, washing your hands and the, the, the proper way to, to, to cough so you don't spread germs. Well, this past spring, it uh, really felt as if we were all back in an elementary school classroom with, with doctors on all the major news stations passing along the same information to us. And, and one of the questions uh, they've been asked repeatedly over and over again by uh, reporters, as, as many of you know, is about the, the effectiveness of, of wearing masks and uh, using hand sanitizer and the most effective ways to uh, slow or prevent the spread of the coronavirus. How does one remain clean and keep themselves free from this awful sickness? Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 11. We are finally back in the Gospel of Luke after a long break. And this morning, we're going to be examining verses 37 through 54. And we are going to, to learn in our text today that this question about being clean was a question that was being discussed between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day during dinner. At a dinner party, they discussed how one is made clean and how one is protected from sickness. Luke chapter 11. Now, it's important for you to know that when we're discussing being clean, when being clean is being discussed here in this text, it is clean in a spiritual sense. Very, very important. But many of the, the, the religious leaders, they, they had missed this and they, they, they felt as if there are certain things that one can do outwardly to keep themselves undefiled and clean inwardly and, and, and spiritually. But Jesus is going to show by his actions and he is going to share by his words here that there is only one way to be made clean spiritually. In this passage, we join Jesus for a very awkward dinner conversation. Ever had an awkward dinner conversation? Well, Jesus has one to hear in this text. He's been invited to eat by an unknown Pharisee, which is shocking because I, I know it's been a while since we've been in the, the Gospel of Luke, but in the previous passage, Jesus spoke some sharp words of condemnation against those who rejected him and rejected his wisdom and rejected his message of sin and repentance and the need for salvation. He has, he has accused them, the religious leaders, along with other believers, of foolishly trying to repress the light 
of the gospel that he brings. He, he has made the claim that he has been sent by the Father to do his work in preaching this message of sin and repentance and salvation. And, and he has said that those who reject him, they will not stand in the final judgment, but will be condemned. And in response to that message, Jesus gets invited to a dinner party. Now, I don't know about you, but I smell set up. This is not the first time that this has happened in Luke's gospel. It happened in Luke chapter 7. While we're, we're, we're not told here, I, I believe Jesus also purposely does something here shocking that invites a response which leads to more sharp words of rebuke from Jesus that teach us important lessons that we need to know on what defiles a man and on what makes one spiritually clean. I want us to study this text and I pray you learn these lessons from these bad examples of these religious leaders. I also pray that you would see how this text applies to you today. I believe there are many of us who are tempted with the same temptations that the Pharisees were tempted with and the, and the scribes fell prey to. What Jesus has to say here on being clean spiritually was not just relevant for the religious leaders of his day, but it is relevant for us today. So let's, let's look at it together. First, Jesus shows what makes one clean by exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. That's point number one. Look at the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And look at verses 37 through 41 of Luke chapter 11. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to come dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Verse 41, this is our key verse for the week. But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So Jesus is invited by this unnamed Pharisee to dine with him. And notice Jesus does most, most everything that is customary to do in this day with one noticeable, I believe, intentional omission. He went in, he reclined at table, which was customary in this day. The, the way they would sit at the table is with their head turned inward toward the table, almost laying all their weight on their, on their elbow, on their side, at this low dining table with their feet turned outward. He does all that, but notice what he does not do. We are told 
The Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not wash before dinner. In this day, the, the, the Jews had a wash station. It was not for, for hygiene, but for the purpose of being ceremonially or, or ritually pure. Rules for washing before eating are, are found in their extra-biblical documents called the, the Mishnah. It is referred to in, in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 7, and we're told that, that they did this in, in keeping up with the tradition of the elders. So ritual washing like this before, before eating was, was not commanded in the Word of God. It was an extension and an addition to, an additional application to the Word of God. It had been developed over time by the Pharisees, extending the, the ceremonial law as a, as a way of honoring it and, and upholding it. And it also, they believed it, it served them as a hedge of protection around it to make sure that the law would not be violated. We have seen the Jews do this before when we were looking at their uh, Sabbath observances in, in Luke as well, because their people had a history of breaking God's law, which often landed them in captivity. They were, were very careful not to, to, to break the commands again. They didn't want to do that for fear of, of uh, coming under God's judgment once again. So their, their religious leaders to, to safeguard their, their people from violating God's law again, they began to build laws around God's law to protect them from breaking His commands. And some of you, you, you hear that and you think, well, that, that doesn't sound like such a bad idea. They're just trying to be, be cautious. The problem is because of these stricter restrictions, practices like ceremonial cleansings had lost their, their original meaning to the one observing the practice and they were, they were missing the point. They were looking to and trusting in these, these outward practices to make them inwardly clean, spiritually, and, and fit when the purpose of these practices were to show them the opposite. They were meant to show them that they were not fit. They were meant to remind God's people that they needed to be cleansed, to enter into, cleansed inwardly in their hearts to enter into the presence of holy God and the fact that they had had to repeatedly do these things that was meant to remind them that that they were in need of cleansing from the inside out that's the lesson that Jesus shows here Jesus has has not washed before eating they, they probably felt as if he needed to above everyone else because in the previous passage, he had been with a, a crowd of people. He had been in the presence of demons. So of everyone at the table, surely Jesus was in need of this outward cleansing. But Jesus doesn't wash, which floors the host and he either says something about it or he, he gives a look that, that says it all to Jesus. And then Jesus dishes out more harsh rebukes toward him and his crew. Look at verse 39. 
And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus gives the, the Pharisees and, and us as greater listening audience a great word on spiritual cleanness. And here it is. It matters not the condition of our outer vessel if the inner condition is corrupt. That's the point. He, he uses their rules on cleaning their cups and, and dishes for dining purposes as a metaphor for the condition of their, their outer and, and inner man. He, he says, while you Pharisees put a lot of effort into outward appearances, inwardly you're defiled, full of greed, full of wickedness. While you care greatly about how righteous you appear outwardly, inwardly you are marked with all kinds of evil, which makes you what you do outwardly just hypocritical and sinful. Charles Swindoll, in his commentary on Luke, says this, Jesus clearly intended the cup and the platter to be symbols of the Pharisees themselves. They meticulously observed their man-made outward symbols of piety while ignoring their internal corruption. They bandaged the symptoms of disease while ignoring the infection. So true. In verse 41, Jesus makes mention of the giving of alms. In first century Jewish society, there were few deeds considered greater and more godlike than giving to the poor. The Pharisees often made great show of giving money to the temple or, or to the needy to show themselves to be, to be religious and holy. And Jesus takes that most prized activity and basically says that if it doesn't stem from a heart that is clean, what good is it? Jesus, his point is that holy conduct must stem from a holy heart. If the inward condition of the heart is clean, all activity that flows from it will be as well. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on Luke, says, The basic error of the Pharisees was thinking that righteousness was only a matter of external actions, and they minimized internal attitudes. They were very careful to keep the outside clean, but they ignored the wickedness within. They seemed to forget that the same God who created the outside also created the inside, the inner person that also needs cleansing. The Pharisees boasted of their giving, but they did not give what was within to the Lord. The way to make the outside pure is to make the inside pure. And folks, we can't do that work.
God must do it in us. That's why David prayed in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We need God to do this work in us. There, there are many in our world today relying upon their filthy rags that they call good works. They have carved out a purpose for themselves apart from God and have dressed up the outward man with these outward acts of, of service and devotion, but, but they're empty inwardly. In God's eyes, their works are empty, useless, wicked, because they, they stem from a greedy and wicked and prideful human heart. They need the change that David speaks of in Psalm 51, a change that only God can bring. They, they need a clean heart, and they need a right spirit. Then and only then, according to Jesus, will all they do be clean. And believers, before we began casting stones at the Pharisees and, and other non-believers that come to mind, it's important for us to know that, that this is a, a, a temptation that, that we are not exempt from, nor are we immune to. There are, are, are many of us who are more concerned about appearance than we are about true substance. We want to look Christian. We want to be thought of as such. And we put forth a lot of effort to keep up the image, but we have little concern with what is going on in our lives inwardly. Jesus' words here are, are relevant to us. Well, he has more harsh words to come directed toward the Pharisees. Notice point number two, the condemnation of the Pharisees. The condemnation of the Pharisees. Read along with me beginning in verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So let's stop there for just a minute. Here we learn one of the, one of the major flaws of the Pharisees that we can fall prey to as well. They, they majored in the minors while neglecting the majors. They emphasized minute points of law while missing the fundamentals of the faith. Jesus says you tithe mint and rue, and every herb. In the Old Testament, God's people were, were clearly taught to tithe, to give 10% of their income. This included their, their crops. And the, the, the Pharisees got to the point where they, they followed this to the letter, to the smallest plants. They grew in their gardens. They tithed mint and rue and every herb. But notice what they neglected, justice and the love of God. They failed in that which is most important, tragic. While in personally meeting the, the letter of the law, 
they broke the most important commands of Scripture to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They, they, they overlooked matters of justice in their society, allowing their, their, their neighbors to be wronged and, and suffer at the hands of corrupt and wicked men, and they failed to love God as He wants to be loved, as He has created us to love Him. God wanted their, their obedience to, to flow from their, their love of Him, not as a, a replacement for a relationship with Him. As a father, I want my girls to respect me and honor me and obey me, but out of a love for me. What if they were to come to me one day and they just said, Dad, just give me a, a list of rules that you, you want us to do so that we can do those so that we don't lose out on our inheritance from you. That's not a relationship. That's not a, 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 a loving, genuine relationship. Relationship should never be reduced to a, a, a list of rules for the sake of reward. That's where the religious leaders missed it, and, and, and that's why they were trying to meticulously meet the letter of the law, and, and they failed in their love of God, and they failed in their love of others. Notice what else? We learn Pharisees, they, what they did love is they loved being viewed and they loved being, being greeted as prestigious religious leaders. They were very concerned with the way they appeared outwardly. Look at verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. They, they loved being viewed as holy men. They, they cared a lot about being treated with respect. They, they loved having the, the prominent seat in the synagogues. They, they cared about looking the part, looking holy, looking righteous, outwardly religious, but inwardly, again, they were, they were wicked. I read that because some of the Pharisees came from, from working class families in their day. Pharisaism became their, their one chance of, of receiving the kind of respect from the, 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 that, the, that the wealthiest of, of nobles received in their, in their day in Israel. In the, in the Talmud, another extra biblical piece of Jewish literature, the, the Jews were told to grant these religious leaders with, with with prominent greeting and, and respect. That's what they wanted. And this, this fed their, their already inflated egos. And as a result, they, they grew to be in love with themselves and to have a, 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 a they, they had such a great love for themselves that they didn't have any room for a strong love of God and for other Jewish people. And Jesus, he rebukes them here for that. And he also rebukes them for, for how their, their wickedness defiled those who, who followed them as well. They were leaders, so they had a following and they defiled them. In this day, every Jewish grave was supposed to be clearly marked so that one would, would not accidentally touch a grave and become unclean. Jesus says, you Pharisees are like unmarked graves. 
They were unclean. They didn't know it. Other people following them didn't know it. And they made all those who followed them unclean without them knowing it. Look at verse 44. Woe to you. Man, a lot of woes. For you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without even knowing it. This must have been shocking for them to hear and anyone else listening in. They, they viewed themselves to be the, the cleanest of the clean, and, and so did everyone else. While, while clean by their own standards, Jesus lets them know how unclean they are by God's standards. And folks, that's all that really matters, isn't it? Many of us rely so much on others' opinions of us. We spend our days comparing ourselves with others rather than considering what God thinks and how we compare to His standards. That's where God wants us to go. Where are you spiritually compared to Him? God tells us in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why God sent His Son. That's why Christ came. And the question you need to ask yourself is not how clean you are by your own standards, but whether or not you're trusting in God's perfect substitute and sacrifice for your right standing with God? Are you looking to and, and, and trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Are you, are you relying upon the inward work of His Holy Spirit to will and to work? Are you looking to Christ and are you striving to be more like Him? Are you pursuing Christ-likeness? That's where God wants our, our focus, and that's what He wants to, to motivate us. And again, this was shocking for the Pharisees to hear. And also another group of religious leaders at the dinner party as well. They even tell Jesus, Teacher, in saying these things, you, you insult us also. Well, Jesus has some harsh words for them as well. Notice point number three the hypocrisy and the condemnation of the scribes. Look with me beginning in verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also. Jesus gives a second wave of, of woes here. And they were directed toward the lawyers. Now, don't think, don't think trial lawyers, but, but experts in Jewish law. We've talked about them in our study of Luke. These were usually scribes, men who had dedicated their lives to meticulously copying the Hebrew scriptures to preserve them from decay and from corruption. They, they're continuous contact with God's Word made them extremely knowledgeable men who were often called upon to be the, the experts in Jewish law. What were they guilty of? Well, they led the Pharisees. 
because they were knowledgeable of, of things pertaining to the law, biblical and extra biblical. They instructed the Pharisees. So if, if Jesus's accusations against the Pharisees are true, that they're like unmarked graves, defiled, leading others to ruin, what does that say about the scribes? Jesus tells them, you too are hypocrites. Look at it. He says, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Jesus uh, accuses them of, of loading people down with, with tons of extra biblical requirements, setting standards in place that, that they themselves do not even meet. There have been a number of times over my 14 short years in ministry that, that I have received complaints from God's people about God's people. And in the complaints, the, the, the people were being held to a, a much loftier standard than most, extra biblical standards, a, a standard much higher than, than what the accusers could meet. I've had to remind people over the years that, and I get this from Paul Tripp, you've heard me say this before, there are no grace graduates in Christ's church. Now, just because nobody's perfect doesn't mean we don't need to be striving to grow in godliness, but in accordance with Scripture, not in accordance with your, your, your stringent, extra-biblical benchmark. Do you realize that when you add laws to God's laws, while you think you're acting in an, an even more righteous way, what you are doing is you are calling into question the sufficiency of God's Word for faith and practice. God's Word is all we need. In theology, we say we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, which says we believe that the Bible contains all the words of God that a person needs to become a Christian, live as a Christian, and grow as a Christian. And even when we are remaining biblical in our instruction and correction, listen, we should also deal with each other with mercy and grace and love as we pursue godliness together. Believe me, that more grace has been dished out towards you by your Heavenly Father than you could ever possibly give to another. Christ makes it clear in His Word throughout His earthly ministry and His teachings that forgiven people forgive. Those who have been forgiven much, they forgive much. And those who have been recipients of God's amazing grace are to grant grace to others in need of it. The next woe Jesus gives them is an especially damning one. Look at verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel 
to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Jesus accuses them of being truth killers, which is ironic because they claim to be champions for truth. But where they had landed was in the same position of their fathers, the ones who rejected the ones that God showed favor toward, the ones God called and used. He, he says, you, you built the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. Now, the scribes at this time, they claimed to love the prophets. They, they memorialized the prophets, building these elaborate monuments in their honor. But Jesus accuses them of actually siding with their ancestors who either rejected or ignored or killed them. They were like Abel's brother, Cain, who rejected and killed God's man, his own brother. Zechariah, who was the last martyred prophet until John the Baptist, they too were, were like his enemies who put him to death. That's what Jesus is saying here. They would have sided with their fathers who rejected God's prophets. They, like them, were, were once again on the wrong side of truth, standing against the righteous, against God's greatest messenger. And while, while Jesus is, is, is speaking figuratively of, of them here killing the, the prophets of old, they will soon have Jesus' blood on their hands and the blood of his disciples whom Jesus called and commissioned. They will find themselves once again standing against God by standing against his greatest messenger, his only son, and the ones who would come after his disciples. Verse 52, look at it. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Again, they, they claim to be champions of truth. They, they, they claim to be the, the, the key to understanding truth. But according to Jesus, they were barriers to the truth. They, they had taken away the, the, the key of, of knowledge, not given it. They had taken it away, and as a result, they, they, they missed the, the narrow way that leads to, to light and life, and they had, they had hindered those following them from entering in as well. Wow. Jesus just dropped a hand grenade of truth on this dinner table. Are you a champion of truth, or are you an enemy of truth? Do you have the key to knowledge that God gives? And are you giving that to others or are you acting as a barrier to the truth? There are many in our world today, some who stand in, in places like this in the church, in the pulpit, on days like today, who claim to be champions for what is right and true, but are in fact enemies of the truth who have taken away the key of knowledge. How can we know who's who? Through the Word of God. The question we must ask 
again and again and again. When someone stands before us claiming to be a champion of truth is, is their message biblical? Are they saying what God's Word says? Believers, we, we better be measuring our words with God's words so that the words of our mouths will be acceptable in His sight and so that we will not lead people astray. Look at verse 53. Let's see how they'll respond to the message. It's not good. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Sadly, this is their, their aim for the rest of Christ's earthly ministry. As Jesus continues his, his journey to Jerusalem, the religious leaders would, would lie and wait for him and attempt to, to, to trick him and, and trap him in his own words, and, and they would eventually have him arrested and tried and killed. They rejected him completely. This was their response to him. The question for you this morning is this, what will your response to Him be? Maybe you're here this morning, you're listening in, you're tuning in, and you can relate to the Pharisees. You look the part, you come to church, you associate with God's people, you say the right things, you're outwardly religious, but you're unchanged inwardly. You have no love for God because you have not been transformed by Him. If this is you, today you hear His words. I, I urge you today to not harden your heart toward Him, but give your heart to Him. Make Christ Lord. Turn away from your sin. Bow your knee to God's Son, Jesus. Make Christ Lord today and be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and up to this point in your life, you've been, you've been carving out your own path in life apart from God. You, you have thought you're on the, the, the good and right path, but, but God has brought to your attention this morning that your ways are counter to God's ways. You've not been a champion for the truth. You do not possess the key to knowledge that leads to life, but you are an enemy of the truth. You have taken away knowledge and are on the wide road that leads to destruction. If this is you, I invite you this morning to forsake that path you're on and bow before the one who tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. At the beginning of this sermon, I asked the question, how does one become spiritually clean? The answer is Jesus. It's through Jesus. He came to bring us to God. He condescended down to us to lead us back to Him. He came to make us clean. He came to cleanse us of sin. He came to wash us white. He came so that we might know the way. He came to make a way for us to God through His life and death 
and resurrection. He came and he lived the perfect life for us so that we might have his righteousness applied to us. He died and he rose again so that we might be forgiven of sin and born again, transformed from the inside out and raised to eternal life in him. If you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation today, I invite you right now today, forsake your sin and give your life to Christ. Make him Lord today and be saved. Let's pray together.